0: listening to Cherokee Hills Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about CHBC or ways to get involved, visit chbc.ok.info. All right, if you would open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12. What a wonderful day. Amen. Let's try that again. What a wonderful day to be able to get to see the testimony of life change is a powerful, powerful thing. And I don't ever want us to take that for granted. I was telling the team this morning, back in 2008, there was a survey done amongst churches, Southern Baptist churches, across the United States of America. And in that particular year, there were 8,000, listen to that, over 8,000 churches just in the Southern Baptist Convention. 8,000 that did not see a soul baptized. Didn't see one person baptized. Didn't even have to turn the water on for their baptistry. 8,000 churches. And so when we get to see multiple baptisms, when we get to see it on a regular basis, when we get to see four in one service, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And God, we don't ever take that for granted. I want to say, um, you know, baptizing my daughter is, I've gotten so far now to baptize all three of my children and to see all of them come to know the Lord and what a powerful and beautiful thing that is. And I want to take the time. We, we tried to work on a video with Sarah Grace, and uh, as much as she tried, it just made her so nervous. She just could not do the video. And, uh, and so, but in that, I can remember her wanting to thank. Lots and lots of people. When we got here just about five years ago, Sarah was two years old. Two years old. And, uh, and so a lot of you have had a hand in teaching her in classes and vacation Bible school and uh, just a lot of touches from, from our church family that have, that have put Jesus in her life. And so if you have taught her, if you have encouraged her in that way, I want to thank you. Because all of those seeds got to, to lead us to the place where we got to see my daughter saved. And so I appreciate you, church. Thank you for loving all my family so well and for giving them Jesus. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I want to pray before we get into this. This is not going to take long, but I think it's something that is crucial for us as a church. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning, and I do I want to offer thanks that God, you would allow us to be a church that you trust with the souls of men and women. That God, you would trust us to love them. You would trust us to disciple them, to share the gospel, and to nurture their families in spiritual and in physical needs. Oh, I love being a part of a church family that does all those things. And Lord, not just to do them, but to do them well and to do them with, with excellence. Lord, what a blessing to gather like this with my church family. And so, God, as you teach us from the Word today, Lord, I pray that we would leave different. That, God, you would show us insight into your Word today that would move some fixed places in our hearts. Even places that we didn't think were movable but by your word and by your power. Lord, I know you're capable. And I ask you to do that in us. Every single one, without exception. In Jesus' name, amen. In Acts chapter 12, I want to start in verse 1. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And we saw that this pleased the Jews. He proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod intended to bring him out for public trial, after the Passover. I want to pause right here just for a second to kind of catch you up on what's going on. The church in Antioch has really taken off and there's powerful ministry that's happening everywhere. The hand of God is working in a mighty and powerful way. And so as you can imagine, persecution now is ramping up because this thing that was once not really a threat is now becoming a threat, not just to the Jewish people, but also to the Romans. And so now they're sort of conspiring together to put heat and to put pressure on the church. They want to dissolve this thing. If you're with me, say I am. They want this thing to move no further. They don't want it to gain any more momentum. And so now they take it up a notch and they come after James. Did you catch that? James. And now James was killed by the sword. This was a clear and direct message to any leadership on board that if you cross us, this is what's going to happen to you. It's an attempt to try to knock down the movement. You're with me? Say I am. But now they've also arrested Peter. Peter now is under lock and key. Sixteen soldiers have been assigned to him in prison. They are making sure that they now, not only do they have the leader of this movement, not only do they have the kingpin and all of this that God has been doing, but they want to make sure they hold him. And ultimately their, ultimately, their mindset is to put him to death. Because if they put him to death, they put away the movement. You're with me, say I am. And so the intent is after this Passover, after this unleavened bread, this is what they're going to do. They're going to take him out of prison and they're going to kill him. And so in verse five, we pick it up here. So Peter was kept in prison, but listen to this, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, if you have a pen or a pencil or a highlight or something handy, I want you to underline that verse in your Bible. I want you to mark it somehow. If you need to take out your phone and make yourself a reminder or you need to highlight it in your Bible app, whatever you need to do, I want you to take that because that is, a, that is the heartbeat of where we're at this morning. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was what? Earnestly praying to God for him. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Get that marked. And so verse 6 goes on to say, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was worried sick and could not sleep. Is that what yours says? Is that what yours says? Okay, mine doesn't say that either. I just made that up to see if you're with me. It says the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, the, really the night before he was going to be sentenced to death. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood at each of the entrances. Now this is interesting. This is how bad, this this is the movement of God, this is how the movement of God is now playing with the minds and the hearts of the leadership involved. They have seen Peter be an escape artist before. Remember that? They've seen God rescue him. And so this time, no, sir, that's not going to happen. We're going to put 16 guards immediately around him. And on top of that, we're going to have two of those guards handcuffed to him while he's in the cell. There's no way he's getting out this time. (laughs) There's no way. We've got this, right? And so he says, suddenly, this is verse 7, it says, suddenly... An angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side. Apparently he was a heavy sleeper. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the Bible says that the chains fell off of Peter's wrist. And if you continue to read, it's a really powerful explanation of how not only is he freed from the chains, but these guys are put to sleep. And every door that they walk through opens up. He walks out of prison, untouched, unseen. In fact, in Peter's mind, he's thinking, I'm having a dream that I'm escaping from prison. But once he's on the outside and escaped, he realizes that's not a dream. That just happened. God just brought me out of this prison And so here's the point. I want to go back to to verse five where he says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God. And this is the part that has just boiled over and over and over in my soul, that the church was earnestly praying. So I began to ask myself, self, what does it mean to earnestly pray? I mean, earnestly pray. And there were three things that came to my heart and came to my mind over, over talking about this in my mind, thinking through it, praying through it, three things, three ingredients to earnest prayer. Number one, it's time-consuming. Time-consuming. Write these down and we'll walk through them. Earnest prayer is time-consuming. It takes Time. It's not something that you just whisper right before you eat a meal or right before a desperate situation. Prayer is something that is time-consuming that needs to, for, that, where we have the need to make time for it. It's also consistent. It's consistent. It's something that happens on a regular basis. I would tell you, a daily basis. And the third thing is that it's sincere. That it's sincere. There are a couple of pieces of fruit that we see from earnest prayer. One is the peace of God. Did you notice that Peter wasn't up worrying? He wasn't afraid. There were two things that I think were rolling around in Peter's heart and Peter's mind. One, God had promised him that he was going to live to be an older age. Two, was the fact that I believe that he knew that the saints were praying for him. Because this is not the first time that we see a praying church pray throughout the book of Acts. If you're with me, say I am. You see the consistent pattern. These people daily met together, not just on their own to pray, but they also met together. They, they got the whole group, they got families together, and they got the church together, and they consistently prayed. They spent time praying, they consistently prayed, and then they prayed with sincerity in their heart. These folks loved Peter. And I think that's why on the night before his trial, which was likely his death sentence, He was able to sleep like a baby. He wasn't worried about it. He knew that somehow God was going to get this, that God was going to somehow be glorified in it. You're with me? Say, I am. And the other part you see is the miraculous. It's the miraculous. You see a real man in prison, in the most secure part of the prison, being guarded by the very best soldiers in the world paid special attention to. There's no way this man can get out. But yet God looks at this complex plan by mankind and foils it with one angel. One angel. One angel shows up on the scene, puts everybody to sleep. Just by this presence, and maybe a spoken word, the chains fall off. And this angel guides him out of this prison And sets him free. One of my favorite parts, you want to go on and read this later on, one of my favorite parts is that Peter comes to the place where the church is gathering and he's knocking on the door (laughs) and this young lady who's a servant girl there comes and she answers or she says you know kind of who is it and Peter's like hey it's me and she's like no it's not. No it's me and she's like okay it's him and she doesn't even open the door she runs back to tell everybody else Peter's out here and they're like stop it we're praying for Peter. No, Peter's out here. Would you stop? We're trying to pray for Peter. You know, he's in prison. And she's like, uh-uh. <laughs> That's not happening. He's, he's here. But you see the peace of God, and you see the miraculous power of God when you have earnest prayer. One of the things that I, I, when I talk to people about prayer, and when I visit and I read and I study and look at prayer, one of the things that I hear over and over and over again is that I don't have time to pray like that. I don't have time to pray like that. So I did a little bit of research, and you may want to write some of this down. If not, I can get it to you later. Maybe we can put it on our website or whatever. But I did some research to find out what the average American does with their time. This was really fun until I figured out I was one of them. So, here we go. It's not exhaustive, but it's pretty good. We spend, this is per day, We spend 2.34 hours checking email. Over and over again, checking email throughout the day, 2.34 hours. 35 minutes deciding what to eat. Yeah, put yourself on a timer today right after lunch or right before lunch. Just deciding where to eat. 35 minutes per day deciding where to eat or what to eat. 16 minutes per day deciding what to wear. That's for ladies. <laughs> Fellas come in slightly behind that with 14 minutes, and typically it shows. Oh. Apparently there's something significant that happens in those two minutes. This is one of my favorites. Seven minutes thinking about exercise but not doing any. <laughs> you know what? I really need to go for a walk. Where are we eating? That kind of Thirty-seven minutes on Facebook, twenty-seven minutes on other social media. It's so almost an hour, about an hour, on social media every day. Forty minutes on YouTube. Dave, we're not trying to get in your personal life, all right? Four hours of watching TV in a day. Ninety-six minutes on non-work related websites. So surfing the internet. 90 minutes in daily interruptions caused by other people. Having to deal with other people interrupting you while you're trying to work or trying to do something. They take at least an hour and a half of your day. Basically people bugging you. And 171 minutes doing miscellaneous things on your smartphone. Okay? So I thought, let's do a little bit of math on this deal. And so, In 24 hours, we have 1,440 minutes. Just with the things listed, mind you, we've not talked about time spent commuting to and from work, to and from the grocery store, just getting one place to the other. We've not talked about the time spent on hygiene. Uh, We've not talked about work. We've not talked about school. We've not talked about extracurricular activities, anything extra that we do during the day. And out of that 1,440 minutes, based on what we just looked at, that totals up to 761 Minutes at 0.34, 761.34 minutes. And so that leaves for the rest of the day 678.66 minutes. But then we sleep. And so if you sleep for six hours, which may be generous for some or not enough for others, but just six hours, that six hours takes up 360 of those minutes. And so now you've got just a little over 300 minutes for the rest of your day And that would help take care of work and things like that. And so what I concluded from all of this, and there's a lot of things that we don't get into. We didn't get into Netflix. We didn't get in, just because I didn't name it doesn't mean you can't be convicted, okay? Everybody wastes their time in lots of different ways, but we waste our time a lot. And so to be able to come before a holy God and say, God, we don't have time for earnest prayer because we're so busy is a bit of a farce. Amen? There's this handy tool that is on an Apple phone, if you have an Apple phone, an iPhone, um, it measures your screen time. If you ever want to know how you're doing, go look at your screen time, because you'll look at some of these things, you go, that's ridiculous, I don't spend that much time on my phone, and then when Apple tells you that you do, you're like, Apple, you're a deceiver. I read about you in Genesis, right? And so we get these things in our heads that we're not wasting time, we're not doing things that are, but the reality is that we are. And this was something that that shocked me a bit, but after thinking through my typical day, thinking through what I do, man, it's really not, not far off. And I think that's probably true for most of us. Tozer once said that time, once it's killed, can never be resurrected. And what a powerful and significant truth. Amen? And so when we look at prayer, the priority must be on setting a time that's specific and significant. And I began to think about a challenge that we walked through a couple of years ago when I challenged our church to pray. And I said, let's do a 10, 10, and 10 challenge. Some of you remember that. A 10, 10, and 10 challenge, which would be 30 minutes of prayer. In that 10 minutes, the first 10 minutes, I want you to pray for you. Remember the challenge? Pray for you. Pray for your spiritual growth. Pray for the things, the needs that you have personally. Not anybody else, just you. Pray for yourself as a husband, as a father, as whatever it is, whatever roles that you have individually. Pray over those things. And then the second thing I asked you to do was pray for your family. Pray for the people that you're in your immediate family. Pray for your wife. Pray for your husband. Pray for your kids. Pray for just your immediate household, whatever that looks like. And then the last thing was to spend your last 10 minutes praying for your church. And what I found over and over again in talking to people who took that challenge seriously was that 30 minutes wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Because when you start getting into the nitty-gritty of what you're praying for, you kind of get lost in it. And what I did to start that out was I sat down and I, I got a piece of paper, actually it was in my journal, and I made a list of everybody that lived in my house. And then I made a list under each of them of what I would pray for them. And I began to write down very specific things that I would pray for my wife. And I prayed for her spiritually. I prayed for her physically. I prayed for her emotionally. I prayed for her day and where she would go and what she'd be doing. I asked God's protection, His hand on her. There's just this big old list. And I'm going to tell you something, 10 minutes wasn't enough just for her. If you're with me, say I am. But then you get to praying for each of my children, the different needs that they have, the different things going on in their heart. And listen. When I committed to that prayer time, I saw the fruit of that. And it wasn't long after that I shared with you as a church the fruit that I saw, not just in my wife, but in my kids and their relationships with each other and their relationships with the Lord. It takes time, but you can't fit it all in 10 minutes. I began to see spiritual growth in myself. Praying for the different areas of my life, the different weaknesses that I have, the different hang-ups that I have, the, the, for God's wisdom and leadership and leading me and my family and in our church. And that list became exhaust. Ten minutes just wasn't enough. And then thinking about our church. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is to pray for our church, to pray that God continues this spirit of love that He that has given us, that has made us so welcoming to people. Amen? And for the ministry, and so praying for our deacons and our leaders and our families and all the people that, that come across. And every time when I, when I hear a prayer requests, trying to write it down, and we've got prayer requests that surround the, that, that, you know, we get through email and such, and we get, we pray over those lists. Man, there's a lot to pray for. And this was a healthy reminder that prayer is important and it needs significant time. Amen. But also we must be consistent. When you look at the lives that were represented here today, man, I can go back and I could show you journals from the time that Sarah Grace was born and to the day that she was saved, where I prayed for her every single day, and I wrote it down. And you can go back with Micah, and you can go back with Hannah, and the very same thing. It was consistent, everyday prayer for their soul. And what a celebration and relief when you get to see that happen. And there are times when they acted crazy and thought, it'll never happen. And there were times they'd act crazy, I think, Lord, you better make it quick because they're going to be with you soon. But he did it. Significant time and consistency over that time. It's powerful prayer. And the last thing is sincerity. When you start to pray for somebody, and you start to pray for things, and you spend significant time on it, and you're consistent at doing it, your heart buys into it. Your heart buys into it. These folks at this prayer meeting for Peter, they had been praying significant. They had been praying consistently. And their heart was all over it. And you can see it. Every bit of the prayers. If you go back and look at the prayers from Acts chapter 1 all the way to where we're at, Acts chapter 12... The depth of their prayers, the sincerity of their prayers, their heart was sold on what they were praying for. They had seen the miraculous before, and they knew that the miraculous could happen with Peter while he was about to die. They prayed with confidence and a sincere heart. Now listen, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I've walked through this and I've seen what I've considered powerful victories and I've seen others that were hard to buy victories. You know what I mean by that? Hard to buy victories? And they're victories that don't seem like victories initially. But after you think and pray about it, they were powerful victories. I'll give you an example. I prayed for a long time for my mom to be saved. Had a lot of people praying for my mom for a long time to be saved. And I got to see her saved. And for 11 months, I got to see my mom as a believer. In the word, praying, found out after she'd passed away that she'd shared her testimony in different churches I didn't even know about. Got to see what I'd always wanted to see. And that was a powerful prayer answered. But there was a second part of my prayer that I prayed just as consistent. And that was for my mom to be healed of cirrhosis of the liver. I prayed every day, fervently, from the time that I knew she was diagnosed to the time that she passed away on December 26, 1993. Even on the day of her death, praying that God would heal her from this disease. And when she passed away that day, it was one of the most beautiful, the most beautiful passing I'd ever see. Literally passed away with a smile on her face. But initially that hit my heart as a defeat because God didn't heal her. And it wasn't too long after that That God, by his word, and by still praying over this, showed me the powerful truth that not only did he heal my mom, he perfected my mom. And he began to put this powerful truth in my heart that I know, and I preached it. I shared it with other people who were grieving. My mom's not sick anymore. She doesn't have disease anymore. She doesn't have the potential for disease anymore. She's sin-free. The effects of sin no longer matter where she's at. She doesn't hurt anymore. There's no sadness anymore. There's no brokenheartedness anymore. There's no tears anymore. Church, that's a good place. And what God did was better for her than what I asked for. And is it hard on this side? Anybody that has lost somebody they love knows that it's hard on this side. But the promise of God is that we don't stay on this side. If we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, there's going to be a sweet reunion someday. We don't ever have to say goodbye again. You don't have to worry about death anymore. Come on, church. And you get to live like that forever. I've got forever with my mom. And now as of today... Well, a few months ago, but celebrated today. My whole family's going to be there. Amen? Amen. Church, I love you. And I would ask you to consider this day, for those of us that are here, a call to earnest prayer. For more information about Cherokee Hills Baptist Church, visit us online at chbcok.com.